Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. Today on Foresight Friday Roundup, we're going to be talking about the impact that the COVID-19 outbreak has had on healthcare consumerism. We're going to be talking about how patients have responded to the outbreak as consumers, how much of that behavior will continue after the outbreak subsides, and how payers and providers are adjusting or should adjust to what patients are doing now and in the future. As always, our resident experts on Foresight Friday Roundup to comment on our topics are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Gary Bisbee, co-founder and executive chairman of the Health Management Academy. Hey, Dave. Hey, Gary. What's up? What's not up, Dave? Uh, as the Chinese say, we're living in interesting times. Social unrest from the 60s, economic unrest from the 30s, medical uncertainty from the 1918 pandemic, uh, you know, throw in global warming. I'm just glad it's Friday. <laughs> Gary, are you glad it's well, Friday? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's Friday. The only thing Dave missed there was the uh, was the 1918 Spanish flu. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, it's a, it's a full plate, that's for sure. Uh, so before we talk about healthcare consumerism, let's uh, let's talk about your behavior uh, during the pandemic. Uh, Dave, have you done anything differently uh, as a patient during the outbreak? Well, I, I had a follow-up dermatology appointment that we did uh, via video conference and a, a picture on the iPhone that took about five minutes and half of that was chit-chat. That was great. I'm, I'm never going back to, <laughs> to the doctor's <laughs> office for that kind of simple thing. Great. Uh, same thing, Gary. How have you adjusted uh, your patient behavior during the pandemic? Let me let me ask a quick question to Dave. So, Dave, would you be as comfortable with your visit if you had not met the doctor before on a first time basis? Probably depends on what it was for. Yeah, um, the seriousness of it. Yeah. Knocking on wood, I've had no interaction uh, with the medical care process uh, myself over this time. My Family has at one point or another uh, reached out and had both a televisit and an in-person visit, but <clears throat> the in-person visits have been relatively recently. So the I don't think the angst was there that would have been there, let's say, six or eight weeks ago. Interesting. Um, I did reschedule a, a regular checkup at my dentist, so uh, I'll probably crack a tooth now, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. Right. <laughs> All right, let's merge on into our topic today, and that's healthcare consumerism. Uh, Dave, how have patients behaved differently during the outbreak in terms of being consumers of healthcare services? And then how much of that behavior do you think will stick around after the uh, pandemic is over? Well, it, it, the consumer behavior reminds me a little bit of the Peter, Paul, and Mary Andy War song uh, from the 60s, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Uh, you know, where have all the patients gone? As your excellent article this week on consumerism pointed out, Dave, uh, uh, it's just fallen off the cliff. Demand has fallen off the cliff down at hospitals, down at EDs, dentist office. Uh, you're not the only one skipping appointment, clinic visits. Uh, outpatient um, centers seem to have, have stabilized, so that, that's a good sign. Uh, so our 
patients behaving differently? The obvious answer is yes. Um, Census Bureau came out and said 90 million Americans delayed care in May. Uh, some are being more selective. Uh, many, like me, I guess, are, are using virtual care as a substitute. But the, the far more interesting question is how much of the, is your second part, how much of the new behavior will stick? Um, you know, market experts will tell you that most buying behaviors are habituals, uh, that consumers change their buying behaviors after big life events. Uh, this coronavirus is a big life event, ipso facto, uh, we're likely to see new purchasing patterns. Um, Deming, the management guru said, businesses exist to serve customers. And I think providers are gonna have to, to fight to win back uh, their patients and customers. Uh, um, you know, there are lots of stiff competition and, you know, Gary's gonna get into that in the second part of this uh, show. Uh, well, I, I began, began my answer with, uh, with an anti-war observation. Maybe I'll end with one too. Uh, there was a, a, a quote in the 60s, uh, a lot of people had it in posters on their wall, it came from a Carl Sandburg poem, you know, suppose we had a war and no one came, um, you know, rephrase that, suppose we have a, a pandemic and, and patients don't return. So supply-demand patterns are, are, are changing. Um, they look like they're shifting away um, from traditional patterns, particularly for routine procedures. Uh, so I think providers should be, uh, should be on their toes, uh, maybe even afraid, um, maybe even very afraid. <laughs> All right, Gary, what, what are you seeing patients do now uh, that they weren't doing before? And again, uh, are those changes temporary or permanent? In my interviews with CEOs of the large health systems, to a person, they have described the tremendous increase in televisits of one kind or another. Many of them are now um, generating more visits in a day than they did in an entire last year. So it, it just is the... the the consequence of this is uh, almost overwhelming. They are uh, addressing a number of different issues. One, how do they train uh, the providers to handle these kind of visits and do it in an engaging way? When you look at, are the visits going to continue at that level? <clears throat> so why um, did we have the visits? And I think we could lay it out to, it's really a forced use situation. So people were calling for the reason that they didn't want to expose themselves to COVID. And that was basically forcing them to use televisits. Uh, and that becomes in a category of what the economists call an experience good. So they tried it, Dave Johnson tried it, liked it. Um, and just in our repartee a minute ago, Dave said basically, hey, if, it, it, if it's based on an encounter where I actually have some experience, i.e. have some trust with my provider, then that's an easy one. Um, if I have a, some kind of reason to do a televisit, 
and it's not overwhelmingly serious, then I could go and have a televisit with the doctor that I, or some kind of provider that I wasn't experienced with. Uh, so the level of trust in your provider and the level of seriousness, the perception of illness are going to factor into which ones of these sorts of televisits will continue and which won't. But I do think that the providers, the large health systems that I've spoken with are seriously planning everything from facilities. We don't need as many waiting rooms. We don't need uh, as many facilities of one kind or another because we're going to do everything we can to promote these televisits. Like a lot of healthcare, it's going to depend on payment. And I think we'll get into that in a second question, but let's just, uh, let's leave it at there. Great. Uh, Dave, anything to, to add to Gary's thoughts there? Uh, the only thing I'd add um, as, is, is as it relates to specialty care, I, I think we're going to have an ability based on uh, just this expansive increase in uh, uh, virtual care to get specialty care expertise where it needs to be much more quickly than uh, we typically did before, where people would wait sometimes two to three months to to see a specialist on a referral that um, that uh, virtual care will will accelerate, and that's a good thing. Great, great. Now let's let let's talk about payers and providers, uh, Gary. You, you mentioned earlier uh, training and facility changes. Uh, you know how are payers and providers responding to this? new healthcare consumerism. You gave two examples. Maybe you could uh, expand on that. And then uh, tell me whether you think uh, that stuff is uh, knee-jerk or sincere. Right. Well, so what happened, I think, at the outset is CMS loosened some of the regs. Uh, we've commented on that in the show uh, a while back. I think I remember Dave uh, talking about, uh, for example, physicians practicing across state lines. That was very helpful. Um, CMS uh, is paying for reimbursing for televisits. Uh, private insurers probably felt compelled to follow suit. Um, and so the question now is, will there be a general agreement on the part of the health system writ large, meaning that the providers, the payers, uh, which would include employers and governments, uh, as well as the patients, all agree that this is a su substantial step up and advancement, and we need to go ahead and do it. <clears throat> the providers I speak to all think that will happen and are doing everything they can to lobby. Um, CMS, SEMA Verma, and lobby insurance companies to do that. Uh, I saw a couple of weeks ago that there's um, one insurer, I believe it was in California, maybe has, or maybe Washington State has said they're not going to continue to <clears throat> reimburse for televisits. But I think that's substantially short-sighted. I don't think that's going to carry the day. I think the issue will boil down to what are the payers willing to pay for a televisit. And you can see that the negotiations will be difficult because um, the providers know what goes into a televisit. 
a lot of infrastructure, uh, and <clears throat> and there is a definite cost of some substance to it. Is it going to be the same cost as an in-person visit? Maybe not. Uh, I'm sure the insurers are going to look at it like, uh, hey, no problem, you know, pick up the telephone, you can talk, there's no cost to that. So there's going to be some kind of middle ground uh, in terms of what the rates are. But one does imagine that it is a point where the consumers will speak in this case, and they will speak through their employers, they'll speak through the insurance plans, they'll speak through the providers. Um, and I, I think it's going to be very difficult, as a number of the CEOs I've interviewed say, to put the genie back in the bottle on um, on this one. So uh, I do think that um, the insurers are going to look at it and say, you know, I can actually save money with these televisits. And the providers are going to look at it and say, as Dave Johnson said not too long ago today, uh, we need to be competitive. We need to be innovative. We need to do a good job of this to keep these patients. Otherwise, they're going to figure out someplace else to go. Uh, so I've, I have some hope that this is going to be a substantial step up for uh, for consumers, and that the providers and payers will react in a positive way to the uh, to the new televisits. Got it, uh, Dave. What have you seen payers and providers do in response to how patients are behaving now? I'm thinking thinking specifically now of a lot of statements about making their environment safe as possible. So how much of that response is temporary and how much do you think is permanent? Well, I, I think per usual, Gary uh, hit it on the head when he said uh, uh, consumers will speak. Uh, and I just, I, I mostly want to amplify on, on that observation. Um, you know, we like to say at Foresight Health, uh, demand-driven change, superhero results. So as if consumers are going to demand this, then I think the system's got to figure out how to, how to accommodate that demand. And we're generally seeing a shift, uh, technology-driven in many ways, that gives uh, consumers more control over their purchasing behavior. An interesting question is the one posed by uh, Peter Drucker, um, the other man, another management guru, who who says, you know, if you want to do something new, you got to stop doing something old. So if we're really going to have a paradigm shift that that uh, has a lot more virtual care associated with it, uh, how will that affect some of the historic ways that we've delivered care uh, that, quite frankly, have have failed in many respects uh, uh, during the pandemic? Um, the the only other thing I'd say, you know, is, is healthcare is a, a funny business uh, in a way because uh, we go to the doctor, the doctor tells us what to do, and somebody else pays for it. And Gary's uh, discussion of the negotiation between the payers and pro providers um, reflects that. Um, I just, if, if the consumers are going to have a bigger voice and probably have a bigger role in, in paying for their care, uh, I think we're going to get much more direct uh, market feedback and signaling from from consumers, and that will have a disproportionate effect on the the future shape of the industry. 
Got it. Uh, Gary, anything to add to that? And specifically, you know, uh, like I mentioned, I'm seeing a lot of providers come out with statements about how how they're going to keep patients safe. So it's okay to come back. And to me that, that, you know, shouldn't have, shouldn't those environments have been safe to begin with? Or uh, is this, you know, taking safety to a new level? Is it's going to spark kind of the second patient safety movement? I think that I think that was related to coronavirus and COVID. So what they're talking about is keeping safe with this new disease entity that's around that people are uncertain about. So yeah, I think they were certainly safe before. They're talking about elective surgery and urgent surgery and that sort of thing. But getting back to what Dave was saying, Dave, because let me ask you a question if I can, which is you, you get around, sure. are, are you seeing many new maybe startups or early stage companies focusing on innovative ways to use telemedicine? I think there are a lot of um, kind of disease specific companies that uh, are catering to millennials, you know, 24 seven on demand access, uh, lot of exchange back and forth on the phone. If you need to talk to somebody, it's done through a, a, a chat or a virtual right. visit. And, um, they're just, they're, they're kind of picking away at the edges. And my sense is that will, that will migrate to, uh, to the, to the broader population. Yeah. I'm asking a question in part because your comment earlier about specialists and how, yeah how they're going to react to all this because, I think that specialists probably have not been particularly creative uh, as a group, didn't need to be. They were specialists. Yeah. The patient had to come to them. And what we may be seeing going forward is a lot of innovation in this space of maybe it's not a common cold, but maybe it's more uh significant requiring some specialist care, but that there's ways they can use televisits to uh, maybe work in with the personal visit, but innovative protocols or procedures for dealing with this. And that would, um, I think, they Berta, get to the question you're asking, because the more the providers can be responsive to the obvious need of convenience, um, which would include safety, certainly, but the obvious need of convenience. I mean, that's really going to be the watchword of the consumer. If it's convenient and I can afford it, I'm going to do it. And I think it's up to the providers to get there. And if the health systems can't do it, then the little uh, startups and innovative uh, companies are going to do it. So, I don't think they've got a lot of option. If you look at this over the next several years, I think they're going to have to be, by they, I mean, the health systems are going to have to be responsive and innovative and treat this with a substantial amount of seriousness. Yeah, I think convenience and safety are going to be the two marketing pitches myself. I was just going to say it, it It reminds me of uh, uh, the Carly Simon song from the 70s, uh, Love and Use the Right Thing to Do. You know, she says it sings that the, the river used to flow right to my door and now it doesn't seem to flow there as much anymore. And I, I think uh, in a nutshell, that's that's what specialists will will confront. So they've got to 
just like everybody else. They gotta gotta hustle and pr- make their value known and and, mm-hmm. and act upon it. Great. Well, great guys. Thank you. Let, let's talk a little bit about next week, which uh, will be here in three days. <laughs> uh, right, Gary, what, what's the big healthcare headline next week? Gosh, I, I think with the providers, it is recovery. Patients coming in for elective surgery and urgent surgery, the economics prevail. But on the other hand, there's a number of uh, studies and surveys that have shown that the a number of patients have put off care that arguably is needed. And uh, when you see that the number of uh, emergency room visits for heart attacks is substantially down, you're wondering what's happening to all these people that were having heart attacks before, for example, or certain times, uh, types of treatment for cancer, diabetes, that sort of thing. So I think that getting back to some balance uh, for the patients that actually need care and seriously need care, I think that's probably the story. Dave, what do you think will be the uh, big banner headline in healthcare next week? Well, unlike human beings, uh, the coronavirus doesn't get bored. Uh, We are running this massive natural experiment on social distancing because of the uh, police protests. Um, So in two to three weeks, we're either going to see a major surge um, in cases or not. And so I think we're going to be watching that to uh, sort of govern the the pace of the reopening of the economy. Got it. Well, great, gentlemen. Uh, That's all the uh, time we have today. Uh, Thank you, as always, for your comments, your insights and your predictions. We'll see what happens next week. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed today, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.